This is FatsInTheBible.com That's in the Bible, number 87, The Importance of a Salvation Testimony. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello, welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you could join us for another episode of That's in the Bible. We've got uh, Matthew, missionary to the Arctic, and we've got Pastor Strobel from Lockport, New York, joining us today. Pastor Steve, who usually joins us, is not available today because he's he's moving a bear, I believe. Is what, what he was up to. <laughs> that is, that is, is the truth. Am I accurate? You're doing accurate. some heavy lifting. Doing some heavy lifting, moving a bear today. And I know what you're thinking. Well, it's actually a, a B-A-E-R, and it's his son that he's uh, helping move to another location. But, Matt, well, you sent us a picture, and I'm going to put it up on the web so everybody can see a beautiful uh, Point Hope. What's going on there? Well, not much. We've got a uh, blizzard warning for the next uh, day or two. So, do you ever not have a blizzard warning? <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, well, when they say we get about, uh, we might get one to three inches of snow. It might not sound like a lot, but uh, if that ever does come in, it just blows. And since we don't have any trees or anything out here, it just it stops right where there's you know a wall or anything like that so it stops at our garages and our houses and so a few inches of snow can mean you know feet and feet of uh snow drifts but right now we've got uh about my phone right now says about negative 60 wind chill but uh it's probably closer to about negative 45 wind chill somewhere on there but it's pretty cold it's been been this cold for about a week and a half now but getting a little bit worse hmm. that's wow. cool uh- I was a little nervous when you said negative 60, but it's only negative 45. <laughs> yeah, it's tolerable. No, I took that picture. I was just taking the garbage out uh, before we started here. And um, I just thought that, you know, just what a blessing because when we first got here, it's almost four years ago now. This January will be four years we've been here in the Arctic. And, uh, you know, we built that first garage, the one that's closest to the picture, a little bit more brown, but uh, we built that garage for our 15-passenger van, and it's just so nice to be able to, you know, before church, just go in there. It's We've got it heated, so it's about 50 degrees in there, and just be able to start up the, the van right away without having to worry about, you know, I mean, negative negative 40 wind chill uh, does wonders on your on your yeah. vehicles, and, and, uh, and then the other, we just added on that other addition just before the winter started. And uh, that's not heated or anything, but able to get the snow machine and the and the four wheeler, the Honda, out of the wind. So it's just such a blessing. It's just a blessing to be able to build those and not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just building a garage like that uh, between those two garages, we we probably had to spend about uh, I would say at least twenty some thousand dollars. Just unbelievable. And that's because they have to ship in the wood or barge the wood in or. Yeah, everything comes in by barge, uh, lumber-wise anyway, and that's it only comes in once a year. That's in the summertime. Wow. You can get, some air, you can get things airlifted in, but uh, it's just so much more expensive. Hmm. Now, with that temperature, wind chill, do you have to cover up every inch of your body, even if just for just stepping outside to take out the garbage? No, I mean, you'll still see some... <laughs> 
kids out there uh, in shorts and t-shirt, <laughs> you know, for they're going to take out their dog or something or take care of something real quick. They'll, they'll be in that and then run back inside. But yeah, I, I just had a coat and hat on boots on and all that and, and uh, ran outside my face, you know, after just a minute, my face was really cold. So if you're out there any longer then yeah, you definitely have to, especially uh, if you're going to go on a snow machine ride or something because you get i mean we see it all the time people get frostbite just from being out just for 10 minutes uh uh, just because it's so cold so yeah you have to have every if you go out on a ride you definitely have to with this being this cold you have to get everything uh covered as much as you can yeah amen now people that think of alaska they they usually mention a tv show or some show they've seen is there anything that you can think of that you know, might be accurate as to far as far as w- what the conditions are where you're at. Yeah, I, I, since we don't have cable, I haven't uh, I haven't seen any of the. I, I've seen maybe one or two episodes of the different TV shows that might be out. You know, just from if we're back in the lower forty eight, we might watch one somebody else is watching. But uh, you know, I mean, a lot of times they're preparing by cutting wood and things like that. Um, Again, those that have trees, they're able to cut down trees, get ready for the winter time and stuff like that. Ours is just a little bit different. I mean, we're just, um, we don't have any trees we can cut down. <laughs> so right. I wish we did because I miss trees. Yeah. But uh, that's one one huge thing I miss is just having some trees. But, you know, I think it's just uh, uh, some of those Alaska shows, you got to be careful with those because if you look up where they really are, they're like they've got a road system right into a, you know a town or a city mm-hmm. and it's not a lot of them it's you know what do they call it the um those kind of tv programs where they're a little bit more set up than realistic and uh, uh so, yeah. sometimes they're just playing it out a little bit worse than it really is there but right. some of them are but you know a lot of them they're just i mean the the camera won't pan because you can can't can uh pan the camera around and see the city if they mm-hmm. really actually did that you know and stuff like that so but anyway uh yeah i mean alaska is beautiful alaska is great where we are it just has a little bit different of a beauty mm-hmm. now i happen to watch and this is not an endorsement <laughs> of a Disney show called Togo. And I think I told you about it. It was uh, having to do with the Iditarod, how that all started when they were trying to get some serum in for kids that, you know, they had to do this um, relay type thing with um, the dog sleds. And I think it was Gnome to Fairbanks um, that they were going by dog sled. And this was back in the 20s, the mid-20s. And they, uh, you know, one guy of the, I took the dog team like 260, 260 miles um, over all kinds of crazy terrain. And the, the point they were making is everybody knows the dog Balto, but it was really Togo, this dog that, you know, went all that way. Anyway, the, the terrain and the conditions were unbelievable, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it's I unbelievable. Just, I can't imagine, you know, setting out with the dog team <laughs> and to go a couple hundred miles. Yeah, there, I mean, there's people that go between the villages. We live in the north slope of Arctic, Alaska, uh, called Point Hope. But uh, there are seven other villages, and there's people that will. I mean, they'll take a snow machine, a snowmobile, and uh, when all the uh, lakes and everything, all the water freezes over, they could travel uh, mm-hmm. from village to village if they want to. It's just so dangerous. You know, there's crevices that you can't see because it's layered with just a, maybe an inch of snow or something. And it's just so dangerous. So I, I don't have any desire doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but was, I've got a lot of respect for people that do it. 
If you were doing that, going from village to village, do the cell phone works? Do they work? I mean, um, not in between the villages. You can get. I mean, they have some great. Um, it, it goes by satellite. Satellite uh, phone. Yeah, satellite phones and things like that. Depending on the plan, you can get one that just text message, one that you can just hit the, um, you know, the button that would just send out the Coast Guard to you, mm -hmm. to your location. There's another that you can have cell phone service as well. Um, but, you know, that just depends on how much you want to spend. Hmm. Well, and also speaking of the cold, outside of Buffalo, New York is Lockport, New York. How are things in Lockport, Pastor Strobel? Well, as far as the weather goes, it's actually uh, nice uh, out today on the warm side uh, for this time of year. Um, right now, we're we're holding steady at 45 degrees. Nice. So, heat spell. Yeah. For, what is this, December uh, 30th? 30th? Yeah. Yeah. We will take it. Uh, every once in a while, you know, people want to know... Uh, What's your position on global warning, warming? And uh, <laughs> I'm for it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Let's, br yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> I think a lot of us in the North are, are for global warming. Warm it up. Yes. Well, we've got today the importance of a salvation testimony. Anything else before we get started with that? You no, know, I'll just add a little bit on the uh, Alaska thing from... Um, Fairbanks to Nome. When I took my trip up to Alaska uh, several years ago, when a family from our church was in Kotzebue, um, we flew from Fairbanks. The route was taking us from Fairbanks to Nome and, and then to Kotzebue. And when we came to get into Kotzebue, we started going lower and lower and lower as a cloud cover. And I've been in enough enough flights where as you go lower, you, you know, you, it seems like you're going lower and lower. And then the cloud lifts and you see everything. And But we just kept going lower and lower and the cloud wasn't lifting. And by the time we got through the clouds, or I guess we were lowering enough, not the clouds lifting, but we got through it. But by the time we did get through and I could see below, uh, all I could see was water. Wow. And it was pretty close. Hmm. And then the guy that was flying took us right back up and didn't land. <laughs> we went, we went back, to, we went back to where we we're from. Anyway, we went through that, um, more than once. And I mean, I made a number of, uh, jaunts from Fairbanks to Nome or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So from the air, I got familiarized with the Iditarod path. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not the same as going by dog sled, but yeah. Yeah, this Togo movie, I think it's on this Disney network, this, I think the new channel or whatever it is, but it it was quite, uh, quite breathtaking. And you know, all I could think is a man up in Alaska. Amen. Huh? David, David Gibbs, pastor, a preacher, uh, and uh, he is a preacher, but he's a, a Christian lawyer mm -hmm. from the Christian Law Association. He has a message somewhere along the line where he uh, has tells the story of uh, the dog and, and the whole getting the medicine and mm -hmm. uh, does a real good job with it. Yeah. I wish I knew exactly where it was and I could point you to it. But uh, if you pretty much, if you come across anything that David Gibbs has spoken, you'll get something out of it. Usually you usually be uh, getting something good spiritually and somewhere along the line, you'd be split in the gut, ready to <laughs> fall up, roll on the floor. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, man, if you're ready, we'll go ahead and get started. I think I'm ready. All right, here you go. 
Well, amen. Thank you so much, guys. Let's go ahead and uh, start off with a word of prayer. Well, dear Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for, again for this opportunity to be able to do this podcast. Thank you so much for, Lord, just the friendship that we have, and Lord, uh, especially salvation through Jesus Christ. I thank you for uh, technology, even as bad as it can be, and uh, Lord, it's a blessing in other areas too, especially being able to do this podcast. We pray that you'd be with the technical issues, that there'd be no issues, Lord, and uh, most importantly, that you get all the glory, you get all the honor, and uh, for you're worthy of it, Lord. And I just pray that you'd help me to be able to bring this forth and be able to be understood. And uh, again, Lord, if there's anybody that's listening that is not saved, Lord, that they would see their need for you to get saved, for uh, those that do um, or have received you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that maybe this would be an encouragement uh, to them. And again, we thank you for how good you are to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've titled this, The Importance of a Salvation Testimony. If you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to start there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a great, great passage of Scripture here. I mean, of course, the whole chapter is just an amazing uh, testimony. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we of course know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the writer here and the inspiration of God. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. And so here he is, he's preaching the gospel, and I just, uh, just remember when I was preaching out at an SU game one time, a Syracuse University uh, game, when people were going up by the hundreds, you know, going up to go watch the uh, college football game. It might have been a basketball game. I can't remember which one it was. But I remember uh, we had met some uh, teenagers that were out there, and they were passing out water to people. And uh, so we went and talked to them, and it had their church address on there, a picture of their church on the water bottles. And so we had asked them, wow, what, what are you guys doing? And, and they said, well, we're passing out these water bottles just to invite people out to a church service here this Sunday. And so we got to talk to them a little bit, and as uh, we always do, whether you're religious or not, you know, whether you have a church or not, I think it was just a non-denominational church, just a, uh, some kind of Christian church. And so uh, the, the man I was with, uh, Dom, he's, he's a blessing. I know uh, the guys that uh, are on this podcast know, know him very well. But uh, anyway, we had started to talk to these teenagers and asked them about uh, if they knew what the gospel was. And, uh, and they didn't know what it was. You know, they started guessing. And they said, well, is it just, you know, the good things that Jesus Christ did? Is it the good works, you know, that he did? And they couldn't give us a definition of the gospel. And so... We went to this, uh, of course, passage here because here Paul is going to present the gospel. He declares the gospel here and, and what it is. And, and uh, you know, we told him the reason why it's so important. And, and listen, I'm not knocking those that were handing out the water bottles. They're probably doing more than most Christians would do. Most Christians don't get out and don't invite people to their church and things like that. But, I mean, even more for teenagers at this, you know, at this time in uh, the world— it's an amazing thing to have teenagers out there trying to invite people to church. So praise the Lord for that. But they didn't know what the gospel was. They, they wouldn't be able to present it. And I'm not sure that they were saved. They might have been saved. You say, why was, uh, why was it so important to ask them about the gospel? Well, look with me in uh, verse 2 here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2, by which also ye are saved. So the gospel that he preached, that Paul preached, is what saves you. The gospel is what saves you. Keep your hand here if you want to, and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. 
I'm just going to lay a foundation here before we get into um, the kind of main point of the message here, or the main point of the study. But in Romans chapter 1, you say, why is the gospel so important that Paul preached? In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, he says, again, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Everywhere Paul went, that's all he did was just preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, you know, we'd have a lot of uh, Jewish people that lived in Syracuse and they'd be going up and they'd say, well, I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish. I, I don't need to hear, you know, about Jesus Christ. And and to which I would, of course, say this right here. I would quote this verse and uh, I would also quote, quote Romans uh, 10, 12, where, um, that uh, says there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. And uh, the gospel is what saves, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Greek, whoever you are in the world, the gospel is what saves. That's why it's so important to know it. Look at me to First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. Go back to First Corinthians again and look at chapter 1 and look at verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, of course, people start thinking, well, isn't isn't baptism and all these works part of how you get saved? No. <laughs> For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That means that the gospel does not contain baptism. The gospel has nothing to do with baptism. Now, uh, to, for you to get saved, you not have to get baptized, and baptism has no, absolutely no part of your salvation to be able to go to heaven. So again, verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So the gospel is what saves you. It's the power of God unto salvation. So that's why the gospel is so important. Look back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we've seen here that Paul is declaring the gospel, and he says in verse 2, by which also you're saved. So the gospel is what saves you. That's what's so important. And he goes on here, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. You know, there's some people that have heard the gospel. They, they've heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross, according to the scriptures, for their sins, were buried and well, and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, but they've believed in vain. You say, well, what do you mean believed in vain? Well, the reason why they believed in vain is because they had a head knowledge that Christ died, was buried, rose again. He, they might even have a heart knowledge of it and say, wow, Jesus Christ died for me. It's, a, it's an unbelievable thing for my sins. But you know what they never did? They never received him as their savior. Look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So uh, Paul didn't just preach the gospel. He's preaching something that he received. He received the fact, and keep going there, verse 3, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, again, keep your hand here. Go back with me to John chapter 1. There's so many people in this world today, especially in the United States of America, that hear the gospel. They know that Jesus Christ, I mean, we just celebrated 
uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. We, of course, know, you know, he wasn't born in December and all that, but uh, we celebrate Christmas. And the reason why, mainly, uh, it should be anyway, is because Christ was born. And so we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior that came into the world to save us from our sins. And, uh, and so most people know, at least, that Christ came to die for our sins. He was buried rose again. That's the gospel. And in verse uh, 10, John chapter 1, verse 10, he, talking about Jesus Christ, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So here we see that there were some that did not receive him, and there were some that did receive him. And only the ones that did receive Jesus Christ, uh, of course, got saved and became sons of God. And so when you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it says there that uh, some believed in vain, that's what it would be. It would be those that had never received him. Because in verse 3, he says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. So Paul had received uh, of course, the gospel, receiving him as a savior, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So in First Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse five, and that he, Jesus Christ, was seen of Cephas, then of the 12. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Now, that's just unbelievable. You, you can think whatever you want to think. You, maybe you don't believe that Christ rose from the dead, but he did. Uh, and it says that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, at one time. Look back with me to Acts chapter 1. And Acts chapter 1. And look at um, verse 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So, of course, this is after he rose from the dead. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. And again, if you don't have a King James Bible, uh, they uh, all the rest of the modern translations uh, take infallible out. They say uh, good proofs or um, uh, I can't remember all the different things that they say there, but uh, but it's not. They don't put in there that it's infallible, but the King James Bible says it's infallible proofs, which means that you cannot go against what God says, that he rose from the dead. And it says right here, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So here Jesus Christ is. He appears to over 500 people at once, and he's with them for 40 days. <laughs> There's no way you could say that Christ didn't rise from the dead. Now look back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 6 again. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, talking about Paul, also as of one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, that am not me to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So after Paul explains what the gospel is, that it saves, and there's some that have not believed, or they believed in vain because they've never received him as their savior. And then he goes on and he lists all these people, these people that Jesus Christ appeared to after he rose from the dead. And 
I like what he says here in verse eight. He says, and last of all, he was seen of me. So last of all, the last person that uh, Christ appears to here out of all the people that he just listed here is him, is Paul. So Jesus Christ appears to Paul. I, I like how uh, Paul words it here. It's kind of interesting. Look at verse eight here, first Corinthians 15, eight. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. And they say, well, what does that mean? Look with me to uh, John chapter three. What does that mean that he was uh, seen of one born out of due time? John chapter three. People have a lot of conflicting ideas of when Paul got saved. And uh, the Bible clears that right up. He says when, when he had seen Jesus Christ, he was seen of Paul. He was w- as one born out of due time. Paul was one born out of due time when he saw Christ. Look at verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. So when Paul says here that I was one, as of one born out of due time, he's talking about born spiritually. So here he sees the risen Jesus Christ. And when he sees the risen Jesus Christ, he's as one born out of due time. He, he becomes born again. He receives Christ as a Savior. And uh, look me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. So after Paul here is given the account of what the gospel is, what he preaches, and, and then he goes off the list of all these people that have seen the risen Jesus Christ, that uh, it's infallible proves that there's no doubt about it. Christ rose from the dead. Then what he does is he gives his... Uh, salvation testimony. And in James chapter 1 and verse 18, James chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, of his own will beget he us, talk about being born again, beget he us with the word of truth that we should be kind, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Again, look at verse 21 here. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So when he's talking about here about being uh, born out of due time, he's talking about being born again. And, uh, and of course, James there is talking about begat through the word of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. This... Uh, this thing about being born again, people say, oh, are you one of those born again Christians? <laughs> like it's a bad thing. <laughs> uh, you better be born again. If you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. Look at First um, Peter chapter 1. I remember talking uh, to one of my family members, and she is Greek Orthodox. And she, I, of course, went to John chapter 3 with her and things like that. And and um, if you don't know what Greek Orthodox is, it's pretty much Roman Catholicism and uh, just a, kind of an offshoot of it and all that. But anyway, um, after I showed to her John chapter 3, you must be born again. John 3, 7, marvel not that I said to thee, you must be born again. And, you know, I told her, listen, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. 
And she said, well, uh, that's what John says, you know, and, but, but you don't see that anymore in the Bible. And so of course I showed her James, but the most important thing I showed her was Peter, uh, because of course, uh, you know, if, if you believe in the Roman Catholic church and what they teach, they, they believe that Peter was the first Pope. Okay. And, uh, so what I did was I took her to, uh, Peter's writings and I went to first Peter chapter one and I said to her, listen, okay, it wasn't just John that said this, look at Peter. And look at what he says, First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now look at verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope uh, might be in God. Look at verse 23. Being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And you see here that Peter says, you need to be born again. And of course, how do you get born again? by the gospel that's preached unto you. And the gospel comes from the word of God that endureth forever. So the gospel and being born again is all intertwined because you can't get saved until you first hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and receive him, uh, what he's done for you, attaining uh, in the gospel as your savior. And uh, look with, with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. After I said that to... Um, my grandmother, um, she, you know, she looked at it and, and the great thing was, and she's still not saved. Um, if you want to pray for her, I'd, I'd really appreciate her. her name's Olga and, uh, she's, she's still not saved as far as I know, but you know what? She finally admitted, she said, you know what, what I believe, um, is contrary to what the Bible says. And, you know, of course, they believe that you got to do works to get to heaven and baptism and uh, keeping the Eucharist and all that and doing good works and things. But uh, the Bible says you must be born again. And look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 13. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And of course, uh, we we become born when we get born again. It's the Holy Spirit that puts us in the body of Christ. First Corinthians chapter uh, twelve, verse thirteen. And so you look at all these things, and you see that it's the gospel that saves you, the power of God into salvation. And you've got the fact that um, when you get saved through the gospel, you're born again. And so when he, Paul says here, when I saw the risen Christ. I was as of one born out of due time. That means when he saw Christ, that's when he becomes born again. Look at me to Acts chapter 9, and we'll see this. Here is his account of getting saved, Acts chapter 9. So when we talk about, of course, the title of this, of this message or study is The Importance of a Salvation Testimony. When we talk about salvation, we're not just talking, we're not talking at all about just being saved physically. Now, I, I've talked to people before, and I said, are you saved? And they'll say, well, yeah, God saved me. I was in a car accident, and it could have been much worse. I could have you know, flew through the window or could have cracked my skull open and bled to death, but God saved me. You know, Praise the Lord. And I said, well, yeah, praise the Lord, but I'm not talking about physical salvation. 
I'm talking about a salvation that God talks about in the Bible where you are born again when you have your sins forgiven, your sins are remitted, for, forgiven, redeemed, cleared away, and you've got forgiveness of sins, you've got a home in heaven. And uh, that's what we're talking about here, the importance of a salvation testimony, salvation in regards to your eternal soul being washed away from all your sin. And that's only in the gospel, the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on that cross for us. And if you look here in Acts chapter 9, we'll find out here is where Paul gets saved. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Of course, his name at first was Saul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And as he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So Jesus Christ is saying, hey, listen, uh, I have been pricking your conscience. I've been getting a hold of your conscience. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37, you'll see another uh, kind of example of this where your conscience is getting, is getting poked by God. Now look at verse 6. And he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, some people believe that he didn't get saved yet, but of course, when you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, he says, I was one born on a due time. And he's talking about when he saw the risen Christ, he gets saved here. It wasn't after. He gets saved here in verse 6. And he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He calls upon the Lord, and, uh, and he's saved. Now, this is his salvation testimony. He was threatening Christians. He was, uh, of course, going against the church of God, having people thrown into jail, beaten, killed. And then he was on the road to Damascus here, and he sees a bright light, meets the risen Savior, and he calls upon Jesus Christ to save him. That is his salvation testimony. And he just doesn't leave it off now and then go out and preach the gospel. He incorporates many times his salvation testimony in with witnessing to other people. For example, look with me to Acts chapter 21. You say, what's the importance of a salvation testimony? Well, Paul used his salvation testimony all the time. You say, well, I don't want to bring myself into it, you know, because uh, it just gets too personal or I don't want to look like I'm bragging. And you're right. You shouldn't brag about it. You should brag about Jesus Christ and say, look where God brought me. Paul would always say, I was just this terrible person. Uh, I, and he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says um, uh, that he was the chiefest of all sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so he would always brag. He'd say, listen, I was a terrible sinner, had people killed, had people put in the jail, all that. Uh, and I was very religious, but I was lost. And then he said, now I've met Jesus Christ. I received him as my Savior. And so he gives his testimony, gives a little bit of his backstory before he got saved, how he got saved, and now how his life has been transformed. Not only just forgiven of all his sins, has a home in heaven, but now his life has been totally transformed. And that's a powerful message. You know, there's some people that, you know, you could just list off some verses to them, and you should. You know, you should give people the Word of God, of course. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12 says. But we need to also incorporate some of 
emotion into it too. I mean, I, I've talked to people before Christians where, I mean, I get, I get uh, depressed talking to them <laughs> because they don't have any emotion in it. They don't have any love for the Lord. It seems like now I might be wrong. They might, but, uh, boy, when you start talking about your salvation testimony, where Christ has brought you, when he met you, what was going on, you don't brag about what sin you were in, but you just brag about Jesus Christ getting you out of that junk and, uh, and, and saving your soul. And so look at me here in Acts chapter 21, and look at Acts chapter 21, verse 40. Acts 21, 40. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. So here he is. He's been arrested. He's brought before all these people, and he's saying, hey, come here. Listen to what I have to say. And now look at chapter 22, verse 1. Methem, brethren, uh, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in uh, Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. So he's given an, uh, a little backstory of where he comes from before he got saved. Look at verse 4. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the uh, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And so you go on here, and, and he gives his uh, testimony now that he's saved. And look at me to Acts chapter 26. You've got another testimony here, too. Again, Paul would always preach the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ according to uh, the scriptures, and that Christ died for our sins. We deserve hell. you got to believe that, that you deserve hell because of your sins, and that you can receive Christ as your Savior. And many times when he's before all these people, he would incorporate his salvation testimony into it and say, listen, you might not believe it, but look at what Christ has done for me. And nobody can argue with that. Listen, if Christ has saved you, they might you know, say, well, I don't believe it or whatever. That's fine. But they can't argue with the fact that uh, Christ has saved your soul from hell. Look at Acts chapter 26. We're not going to read all this for sake of time because I'm going to get uh, go through a couple other things. But in Acts chapter 26, from verses 1 all the way to verse 23, Paul gives his, for the most part, uh, salvation testimony again. He's before King Agrippa, and, and he's saying all these kinds of things. And and, uh, and look at verse 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at Midio King, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and then which, uh, them which journey with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou 
persecute us. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. So here again, he gives his salvation testimony to King Agrippa. And now look at verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul was using his salvation testimony when he got saved. He was trying to use it to persuade King Agrippa to receive Jesus Christ as a Savior. Now, that's important. You say, why is that important? Look at me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. You might say, well, my salvation testimony is, you know, not as unbelievable as Paul's. You know, maybe you got saved at seven years old, eight years old, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Listen, it's a salvation testimony and it's a miracle whether you think that you weren't that bad of a sinner or, uh, or you know, whatever you think. You maybe say, I got saved at seven years old. I didn't get saved out of all this, you know, terrible sin and everything. But it's still a miracle. It's still an unbelievable uh, event that took place that Christ was able to save your soul. And we should still incorporate it when we're witnessing to people. Look at First Timothy chapter 1. I don't know about you, but when I get talking about where I came from and where the Lord took me from, uh, it, hel it helps me out. And it helps me witness. And it reminds me of all that Christ has done for me. Look at First Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 16. Again, uh, you look at verse 15. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul says. Look at verse 16. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in the me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul is our pattern. Uh, if you're in the church, okay, if you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. You're in the church. You're in the body of Christ. Uh, that means that Paul's our pattern. We're supposed to pattern our lives uh, to his epistles, to what he's written to us. And uh, a lot of what he did was use his salvation testimony. And so we should do that. Look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. You say, what does it mean to testify? Now, you say the importance of a salvation testimony. Okay, we know what salvation is. It's by believing the gospel that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again. And if I receive Christ as my Savior, I'm saved, born again. I've got, a, I've got salvation. But what does a testimony mean? Well, look at um, John chapter 3. Look at verse 32. John 3, 32. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. So it gives you the definition of uh, testifying there, or a testimony. It says right there in verse 32, and what he hath seen and heard. There's things, once you got saved, that you've seen and heard. Uh, when somebody gets up in a witness stand and testifies, they're testifying of what they know happened. And when you get up there and you're witnessing to people, talking to people, you should be telling them. I'm not saying you have to do it every single time. Okay. Well, wait here. I want to talk to you about what happened to me. You know, stop. You know, you're going to the store. No, you stop here. You might not have enough time to do that. You might just be able to give them a gospel track, whatever. But if you have time to give them your testimony and the Lord leads you to do it, you should do it. And uh, look at verse 33. And he that, he that re hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, 
And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So we need to use our salvation testimony. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we need to testify. We need to testify and talk about what Christ has done for us, where he brought us from. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 2. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You know what the Bible is? The Bible is a lot of uh, lives of just normal, regular people that are radicalized. I mean, I'm talking about when they meet the Lord, they receive him as their savior, their lives are just totally changed. And we see that, especially with Paul, the change in his life. And Second uh, Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you know what you and I are? We are a testimony, or we should be a testimony, of where Christ has brought us in the power of Jesus Christ through his blood on that cross that he shed. And we, just like the Bible is, our lives can be an epistle, can be a testimony to others. Now, again, the Bible is the most important thing, but you can supplement the Bible as you're given the gospel, like Paul did in Scripture, talk about how the Lord did it for you. And lastly here, look me into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, anytime Paul would meet anybody, this is what he would ask them. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I was in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 1. And I, brethren, this is Paul talking, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Whenever Paul would meet anybody, whether they were very religious, whether they went to church, whether they were a member of a church, even if they were a preacher, or they were, you know, maybe people would say, wow, look at that heathen over there. He would always go up to him, and before he got talking to him too long, he'd say, okay, now let me just ask you this. Uh, have you received Christ as your Savior, that he died, he was buried, he rose again, he was crucified for you? Uh, have you received him as your Savior? Do you have a salvation testimony? And that's what he's saying here. I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you have him as your Savior? And uh, he would always ask that. Do you have a salvation testimony? I remember when we were witnessing there in Syracuse, and uh, we were going door knocking and things uh, one summer, and I went uh, to this uh, gentleman's house, um, and his garage was open, and he was right there. And so I just asked him if I can give him a gospel track. He said, sure. So I handed him the gospel track and started talking to him a little bit. And he said, you know, I'm a pastor here in town in, in Syracuse. I said, oh, okay, great. He didn't tell me what church he was from, anything like that. I said, oh, that's great. We started talking a little bit. And um, before we left, I said, uh, now listen, in the front of the gospel track said, if you were to die— Today, would you be 50, 75, 100% sure you'd go to heaven when you die? And so I, I asked him, I said, listen, you know, we haven't even talked anything about salvation or anything like that. But I, so I just want to just make sure that track right there, do, do you for sure know the answer to that? Now, he got really upset. <laughs> I mean, here is a pastor. And again, I don't know what church he's from, but here's a supposed pastor. And I asked him, that question right there, would you know, would you know where we'd go? I just, and I didn't, I wasn't, you know, in his face mean or anything like that. And he got so upset and he said, what are you doing? 
what are you asking that for? And he threw that gospel track and he said, get off of my property right now. And so I just said to him, sir, I, I just, a- I was asking you a simple question. If you know, he said, why would you ask me that? And he said, get out of here. And I couldn't believe it. And, uh, he said, well, you shouldn't have asked him that. Really? <laughs> I mean, listen, if somebody came up to me, gave me a gospel track, we started talking for a while. And before they left, they said, you know what? I just care about you. And I just want to make sure that you know that whether you're a pastor or not, I wouldn't say, how dare you ask me? I'd be like, thank you for asking me that. Cause I don't have very many people ask me that at all. Let me tell you about it. I got saved on such and such. And I would tell them my salvation testimony and I'd be excited about it. And I'd say, can you tell me your salvation testimony? There was some, now I'm not saying that guy was lost, but I'm, I'm assuming he was because somebody that's saved, uh, that's a pastor should be excited about their salvation testimony. Paul was, Paul would always want to talk about it. And I just remember the time that I got saved and I hope you do too. And if you don't have a salvation testimony, you can't remember a time when you act, accepted Christ as your savior, then you are not saved. You need to get saved. But I remember, you know, I grew up in a good Bible believing family. Of course, my mom and dad, and uh, we went to Pastor Strobel's church when I was younger and praise the Lord for that. I heard the gospel, great preaching, and, and it's just such a blessing to think about Pastor Strobel still there going strong, but I had never gotten saved. I had never gotten saved and and that was my fault, nobody else's fault. I heard the truth every single time we went and, uh, and I remember going through high school, college, not thinking much of God at all, and then I remember getting uh, out of college, getting a good x-ray job as an x-ray technologist and getting everything I thought would make me happy, a good car, good apartment, good money. I mean, a good job, like I said, all these great friends going out and play basketball whenever I wanted to after work, all these things. I mean, everything I thought would make me happy. I remember being miserable <laughs> and I'm thinking, I thought I would get all this stuff from growing up and it would just make me happy. And I had gotten it all. And I was just, I was more miserable than ever before because I said, this stuff's not bringing me happy. What is going on? I, I just feel more miserable than ever. And I remember that went on for a whole year. And, uh, I remember I got into some alcohol and things like that. And, uh, just because I was depressed and I remember coming back one time, I'll never forget it. I remember coming back from playing basketball and, and going back to my apartment uh, right outside the Bronx, New York in a place called Mount Vernon, New York. And I remember driving back and just weeping. I mean, my windows were open. I was listening to this loud, probably rock music or whatever it was and just weeping and people, uh, you know, around me while we're stopped at red lights and things. I didn't even care. I was just weeping. And, uh, you say why? Cause I was miserable and I couldn't figure out why. And I remember one time after work one time on a Friday night, I love going to Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> and uh, if anybody knows me, I love going to bookstores. I just love books. I just love going in. And I always say there's three things I love about, about Barnes and Noble. I love going in there because well, anyway, they used to have classical music. Now they got a bunch of trash on there many times, but they used to have classical music. I love that. It's just just relaxing. And this is when I was lost. Went in there, classical music, go in there. Usually I have coffee. Love the smell of coffee. And then I love the smell of books. <laughs> I go in there and you might think I'm weird, whatever, but I'm sure there's many of you that do it too. I love the smell of new books. I love the smell of new Bibles with the leather and everything. But anyway, I went in there on a Friday night after work. I was 23 years old, miserable, went in there just to try and relax. And the Lord, I know it was the Lord. It wasn't the flesh. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't the world. The Lord led me over to the religious section 
I picked up a King James Bible because I always remembered my dad, Pastor Stroll, and my mom saying, you got to have the King James Bible. I remember picking that thing up, reading Genesis 1-1. In the beginning is the word. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was out form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep and all that. And I went to John chapter 3 because I knew from growing up that I needed to go to John chapter 3. And I started reading that thing. He must be born again. I took that Bible, bought it, brought it home. That Saturday morning, I opened that thing up. And it's just like the Lord, just like like Jesus Christ said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He just started convicting my conscience, saying, you grew up knowing the truth, but you've never received me as your Savior. You've never been born again. And right then and there, I bowed my head and I accepted Christ as my Savior. I said, Lord, would you please save me? I know I'm a sinner. I know what I deserve, hell. And boy, right then and there, in Mount Vernon, New York, in May of 2005, I remember that Saturday morning getting off my little dining room table there being so excited because I knew right then and there I was saved and that is my salvation testimony. And I always say Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Probably Pastor Strobel for a while thought, boy, you know, maybe this guy's a lost cause. Uh, my dad, you know, trying to raise me up correctly and my mom and everything. Uh, it's not a lost cause because at 23 years old, I knew where to turn. And uh, so never give up on your children. Never give up on your grandkids. Keep, keep telling the truth. But that's my salvation testimony. And I'm, I'm excited every time I get to talk about it. And so should you. But the question is, if you don't have a salvation testimony, why don't you get one? And how you get one is you believe the gospel and you receive him as your savior. So I just want to open this up to all the other gods. I would love to hear uh, your guys' testimonies of salvation. And if you want to give any more verses in regards to giving a testimony and things like that. But uh, just thank you so much for the time. Thank you, guys. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Amen. Amen. So... Uh, you are you afraid to ask Pastor Strobel for his salvation testimony? Because <laughs> okay. it's going to be crazy. Is that what you're trying to say? No, because he's going to get mad like that other guy. Oh yeah, because oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's a pastor. Right? How dare you ask me that question? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. And well, the, I... and the, the the gentleman I was with too that was at the church. He was like, you know, because I was young at that point too. <laughs> And he's like, you know, I probably wouldn't have asked that question to him. And I said, why not? Well, he shouldn't be upset. He's like, well, now he's not going to take the gospel track. And I said, well, you know, he he needs to know the truth, you know. So anyway, I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. I am not sure if you mentioned this verse or not, but I was thinking about it as you're telling that story. First uh, Peter 3.15. Yeah. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Amen. So, so we certainly have a right to ask. Anybody's got a right to ask of that reason for that hope, but Amen. we are charged to be ready to give an answer and, and give that testimony of salvation. Amen. And, and you know, this, this is, don't you think it's appropriate for new Christians as well as old Christians to, uh, you know, you don't have to know a lot of, of verses to, to give your testimony. You can Amen. tell, everybody can tell what happened to them that has been saved. Amen. That's one thing I'd tell um, when I'm preaching as well a number of times, and just recently in a message, I encourage people certainly to learn how to present the plan of salvation. But um, if you know how you got saved, you know, you know enough to help somebody. Yeah. And yeah. 
there is such a power in testimonies and a young Christian can do it. And Christians that have been saved for a while can do it. I enjoy hearing the testimonies of people's salvation. And, and a lot of times I just I get right in there. I feel like I'm right there with them and mm-hmm. you know, my heart gets wrenched and move me to tears. <laughs> I remember um, a couple that I'll just mention briefly, but uh, Charles Colson was in the Nixon's administration. He was one of his henchmen, as they say, and he's a guy that talked about, you know, he'd, I think, run over his grandmother to help get Nixon reelected or something like that. <laughs> but uh, Colson got saved. He, is, he went to prison over the Watergate deal, but he got saved. Um, he wound up doing, uh, starting, I think he, I think he began the ministry of the prison fellowship. I think it was called, he's passed away now, but Colson wrote a book about his testimony. Uh, it was called born again. And many years ago, I got out of the library and, and read it. And just as I, I remember him talking about, if I remember it correctly, but I think he was in a jail cell when this all finally came to head and he prayed and asked the Lord to save him. And it just, it was, it was moving. Um, there's another one, this one I heard on a recording, and I think I believe I heard it back when uh, James Dobson had his focus on the family program. I, that program used to be around, but he, he was hosting it then, and I uh, was going great guns, but it was uh, about a Jewish man, and he was talking about, his name was Stan Telchin, he was talking about, first of all, how his daughter got saved, and, um, and then she'd come and try to witness to him, and boy, he just would be livid, and so he started... Um, I think reading the Bible and searching out these things, you know, so that he could argue with her, prove her wrong. And in so doing, he got saved (laughs) and it was, it was just an amazing testimony. And, uh, I mean, I'll tell you just a bit. I'll try to keep, give you a short version of what the Lord did in my life. But I remember back as a, just a young kid in single digits, uh, picking up a little book. It might've been like a little golden book. Uh, it might've been a little golden book or something like that. And it just had the story of creation in it and seeing how it kind of went from, you know, things without form and void. And then God said, let there be light. And I remember those things even making an impression upon me with the words and illustrations. And then I had a larger children's Bible as I got older, which was illustrated. And a couple of things that really, um, impressed me there was the pictures of the flood and the animals dying and all that happened with that, how they illustrated it, and then the plagues upon Egypt. And those things made an impression upon me. And I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and I went to Roman Catholic schools starting from grade school, first through eighth grade. And then um, freshman, sophomore year in high school before finishing up in a public school that was closer to our home. And as a Roman Catholic, I was an altar boy from, I think, and started in third grade, which I assisted the priest with the their services, which they called the Mass. And in the Catholic Church, we learned the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Well, to be honest and technical, we learned nine of them, yeah. <laughs> because they did not teach us the Second Commandment about not bowing down before idols. Uh, and then they took the Tenth Commandment and divided it up into two. Tenth Commandment summarizes, thou shalt not covet. And they made um, the, I believe, the Ninth Commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Hmm. And so that way we still thought we knew the Ten Commandments. At different times, you know, knowing the commandments, I became under, I came under great conviction for my sins. 
And uh, from time to time that would happen and I'd, uh, you know, it'd catch up with me and I'd think, man, I shouldn't have done these things. And I'd try to make uh, restitution and so forth, get things right where I could. Um, and of course I was taught to go to confession and I would conf- go in there and confess my sins to the priest and then come out feeling pretty good. That didn't last long because <laughs> if I'd sin again, I'd be all, you know, messed up. But um, when I was 18, that conviction, it really kicked into high gear. And at the same time, uh, there was a great desire f- to know that I was going to heaven. As I looked at earth and, and experienced things, you know, whatever fun I would have would seem great, but it always come to an end. And there was the grind and I was observing and watching and not only myself, but others, was a great observer of people at the time, especially, and just life in general. And I was coming to the conclusions that Solomon came to when he wrote Ecclesiastes, but I hadn't you know, read that book. But it was like vanity, vanity. And I wouldn't have used that term, but I, I, I understood it. I understood what he meant. It was just empty. I mean, what is this? There's got to be something more, and, and you're, you're going to die eventually. And if you have a great life, make lots of money, have lots of fun, enjoy yourself, you still die, and then what? And I believe there was a forever because I had been taught that, um, you know, heaven and hell. <clears throat> we were also taught about purgatory which I discovered later on. You can't discover in the Bible because it's not in there. <laughs> and But heaven and hell uh, certainly were. And I'd think about, you know, if I had a great time on earth and died and went to hell, I'd miss it all. What I really wanted was I wanted to be fixed up for all of eternity. And I, I was also concerned about going to hell because I think, I remember even as a kid laying in bed at night thinking, now if I die and go to hell, I'm going to be there forever. And I think now if I, if I was only going to be there 100 years, you know, at least I know it was coming to an end or a thousand years, but I realized it was forever and ever and ever. And there's no getting out. And I didn't want to go to hell. And I did want to go to heaven. I made an appointment with my priest. I was 18 years old. I made an appointment with our priest and I told him, I just want to know I'm going to heaven. When I die, how can you know you're going to heaven? And he said, nobody really knows for sure. <laughs> you just got to do your best and hope. Man, I was frustrated. I was disappointed. But that was his answer. And, and really, that's all he could tell me because that's, that's all he knew. Yeah. He didn't know how anybody could know they were going to heaven. He certainly never told us that. Now, they did have certain things they would tell, it, tell you that if you, um, you know, die in a state of grace, then you go to heaven. So you have to have, you know, been to confession, no mortal sin on your soul and blah, blah, blah. But and another thing they told you you could do is you wear this thing called a scapular and if you die with that thing on, you automatically go to heaven. And, and of course, man, I thought that'd be great. I started wearing that, and man, the thing was so uncomfortable, pointy plastic. <laughs> I gave up on that. <laughs> and of course, the, I remember the priest telling us a story that now, if you think you can do this and then just live however you want, he, they told a story about a guy who just lived like the devil, but he wore a scapular so he could go to heaven. And then he got uh, shot in a hunting accident, and as he was falling to the ground, the scapular caught on a tree branch and came off of him. And so. Too bad for him. He went to hell. <laughs> it's like they had all the bases covered. Anyway, um, my priest telling me I couldn't know I was going to heaven, I, I started to do my own figuring, and I, I figured this. If I gave my whole life to God and lived it for him, surely I'd be able to go to heaven. And the only way I knew how to do that was to become a priest. And I thought for a long time about it and very hard uh, about it. But I eventually decided if that's what it takes, I'll do it. Because... It meant that much to me to know, and I was going to heaven to get to heaven. 
And at the same time, I kind of became a spiritual beggar. I mean, I, I would I'd lap up everything, anything I could spiritually. I'd watch you know, spiritual programs on TV. Um, I remember one kind of a daily series, and I can't remember the name of it now, but um, it was kind of a spiritual emphasis. Uh, I remember, you know, it used to be Friday nights, Friday or Saturday nights, I think it was Friday night, watch, you know, Don Kirshner's rock concert or whatever. They had different things like that. And, and then I saw they had this one called Maranatha concert, and I watched that. It was pretty much just people rocking out, but they were singing Christian words. <laughs> yeah. And then I turned on PTL back in the day, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Um, and, and I remember at the beginning of the program, they would have these flashing on the screen kind of rolling on there in a big letters, uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Mm. And, it, and they'd put it out there that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And uh, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But, but when they'd put that on there, I would do it. I, I would, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus, I would bow my head and I would confess with my mouth, I'd say, the Lord Jesus. And then I would believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I was trying to do everything that, that I could. I, I came to the conclusion, I, I opened up my Roman Catholic Bible, which I had, and I'd try to read it. Sometimes I wasn't reading it sober-minded, but I remember reading Reve- the book of Revelation one night, coming home, not in the soberness of mind, and coming to that great city, you know, the glitz and all that stuff and glamour of uh, Babylon. And I was trying to figure out what it would have been. And the closest thing I could connect it to was Las Vegas. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I, but I, at the beginning of my Roman Catholic Bible, had a, uh, an illustration of drawing that I recognized was supposed to be Jesus and um, a, a close, a looser but close quotation of, of Matthew eleven twenty eight. And uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, of course, says, "Come." On, Jesus is speaking. He says, "Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest." And in the Catholic Bible, it said, "Come unto me, all ye that um, uh, labor and are weary, or something to that effect, uh, and, and I'll give you rest, or labor and are burdened, it's some, something like that." But it was enough to draw me to Him, and I knew I came to the, to know that that Jesus was the answer, and I, I would I would start to talk about it, and I would. I'd confess him I, I, to people. I'd, I'd tell people about him. I'd say I'd, I've found Jesus. And I remember one time I was in um, I was in uh, junior college, and we I was in a speech class, and there came a time when they gave us a, uh, an assignment, or the, the teacher gave me an assignment to, all of us an assignment to speak on whatever you wanted to, and I knew what I needed to do. I had to get up there before those folks, and I was going to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> and I got up there, and I said, now I'm going to tell you here about a, a, a friend. You can't see him, but he's everywhere. And I and I did the best I could to give a testimony <laughs> about Jesus. And I didn't even know I was saved. <laughs> and I and I maybe I was when I got when I confessed and, and did, but I didn't know it yet. I didn't understand it. Um, I started talking to my friends about it. I I, I visited a high school seminary and in, in route to be looking to become a priest. I visited two college seminaries with these guys. They took trips to uh, these seminaries, one in Minnesota, one in Indiana. I saw the same <clears throat> type of lost behavior going on there that I already had in the world. People drinking, you know, smoking, smoking pot, listening to the devil's music. When I was in the, the dorms in uh, the seminary in Minnesota, I heard a song playing. That was I was walking down the hall with another guy. It was coming from a dorm room of one of the seminary students, but and it stopped me in my tracks because there in that Roman Catholic seminary where I was thinking that maybe I could find God from the dorm room, they're playing Van Halen's Running with the Devil. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I had the eight track back at home. <laughs> 
but but it sure seemed out of place at the seminary where folks were supposed to be walking with God, not running with the devil. After I visited my, the second seminary in uh, Indiana and I found no hope and no answers and the same partying, baloney stuff I had out in the world, I, I called my friend. I had a friend who had gotten saved and he had visited me in the midst of this and I think he might even give me chick tracks. And um, he was trying to tell me how to talk to his pastor. He really didn't know how to tell me how to get saved, but that he had gotten saved. And I was glad for him, but I just blew it off because um, I was searching for God and trying to find my way. And plus, I was a member of the one true church. So I had been taught. But after I found no answers, I called him up and I said, I want to I talk. Let's talk to your pastor. And they were having um, soul winning that night. And, and he told me, he was telling me about it. I couldn't understand what he was saying. He said, well, we're having so win. I said, well, what is that? He said, well, it's where we go to people's houses and we tell them about Jesus. And I said, sounds good. You need another guy? <laughs> he said, well, let me call my pastor. And pastor had to make a hospital visit that night. The next night, I said, let's, let's meet. You know, can we meet him? They're having a youth meeting. I went. I'm 18 years old. You know, they got these kids that are 9, 10, 11, 12, maybe 13, 14, some of them. And I sat in there with him, with my friend, and, and listened to the Bible study. And when, when it was over, you know, I beeline, made a beeline for the pastor because I was going to talk to him and see if he had any answers. And um, he asked me, when I, when I began to talk to him, he asked me if I was a Christian. And I said, yes. I mean, I always th- was thought I was. I thought I was. I mean, Roman Catholic, we figure we're Christians. And then he said, well, if you were to die today, tonight, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? I look right back at him, and he didn't know I'd been looking for this for months. <laughs> and I look right back at him, I said, are you? And you could tell it shook him just a bit, but he got his composure, and he said, well, yes. And I thought to myself, well, nobody really knows for sure. <laughs> you just think you'd sing it, you know? <laughs> Long story short, we sat down. Um, he opened the Bible, began to witness to me. I, I had questions, you know. Well, he'd answer them with scripture, and I'd say, "Well, you know, what about Mary?" And it'd be First Timothy two five. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And uh, somewhere in the way, as the light began to be clear, I, but but as he was witnessing me, I remember staring straight ahead at one point and just starting to get mad. And I wasn't getting mad at him. I was getting mad because I'd been looking all over. I talked to this person and that. I visited three different seminaries, including the high school seminary. I talked to my priests. I talked to people. And nobody, and I talked to priests, not only my priests, but when I visited the seminary, nobody could tell me this. And now it's been here all along. Anyway, I got over getting mad and and uh, came time to pray. And I, I did pray. I asked the Lord to save me. And he asked me after I was done if... Well, now if you died tonight, now are you 100% you go to he- sure you go to heaven? And I, all I could say was I hope so. I, I didn't know anything. I didn't feel different or anything. He began to give me verses on assurance. And uh, like First John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. And so the Bible said you can know in spite of what my priest said. And, and somewhere in there, the light began to shine. And I began to, to understand through the testimony of the scriptures and the witness of the Holy Spirit inside me that I was saved. And it was April 25th, 1980, and things began to change. And, and the Bible, little bits and pieces of Bible that I began to learn, they started coming together like a puzzle, uh, that pieces of a puzzle to form a picture, and everything began to make sense. And I, and I guess I found overall that 
the big picture of it was, you know, the law wound up just like in Paul said in Galatians 3.24, the law was my schoolmaster to bring me unto Christ that I might be justified by faith. I was under conviction for my sin. I couldn't save myself and, and finally it got me to Jesus Amen. to be saved. Amen. So my, uh, my testimony is, um, I think as a, as a kid growing up, my, my dad's from West Virginia, my mother's from Austria. So she had a uh, Roman Catholic background. And my dad had a, what did he call it? A hard shell Baptist background. But neither one of them were saved. And every now and then we'd, we'd go to church and living in Lockport, New York, growing up um, from, what, fifth grade on, <clears throat> we would um, we'd go to like a, it's called the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And I remember sitting there and, and I, I don't know if I understood what was happening or wasn't interested, but we would go on occasion. And then I joined the Army. My dad had been in the Army, and I joined the Army. And I joined the Army at uh, 18. And for three years while I was there, I worked as the uh, military police. And I saw a lot of things that, you know, I'd never seen before. People dying in car accidents and um, domestic disturbances we would go to where um, husband and wife were fighting and, you know, it was a lot of negative things I saw. And so at that early age, I began to wonder, well, what's this all about? You know, it's not Ozzy and Harriet. It's not, it's not all wonderful. There's a lot of pain and, and unhappiness in the world. And I got out of the Army and... and um, through a course of events, started to think, well, I'd like to find a church maybe and try and figure this out because, I mean, I was confused. Is it the Roman Catholics that have the answer? Is it the TV evangelists that have the answer? Is it, who is it? Because it, it, it all seems to be different. And I didn't know. And so I started looking at churches in Lockport, and I, the first place I went to was the, the church that we had gone to before as, as a child was the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And <clears throat> I remember I went on a, I think they had a midweek service. And I remember hanging outside the pastor's doorway. It was like a bulletin board. And because uh, I wanted to talk to him, but I didn't know what to ask. <laughs> it wasn't fully defined in my, you know, because I figured, well, I, I must be a Christian because I believe in God and mm-hmm. I believe in Jesus and why do I feel like I don't know anything? I feel so empty. And I remember hanging out there and he saw me, said hello, but he didn't engage me in any conversation. And so after two or three weeks of going there, I, I started looking at other places and, and, um, in the newspaper at the time they had the, the church on Lincoln Avenue that pastor Strobel is pastor of. They had in the uh, newspaper that they were, I think it had been a contractor's building or something and they were working on it. They were, you know, setting it up to be a church. And I thought, well, maybe that's where I'll go. <laughs> sure. And so I went to, uh, to pastor Strobel's church, but he wasn't the pastor at the time. It was actually pastor Rod Phillips and Steve bear. Who's on this program was the assistant pastor and song leader. I remember walking in and it was pretty Spartan. Um, wasn't when I was 
thought maybe a church was supposed to be with pews and everything. It was folding chairs on a concrete floor. And But when I sat down, I, I remember Pastor Phillips was like reading from the Bible and the Bible says, and I mean, he was like, this guy knows what he's talking about. He, he really believes what he's saying here. And, and he spoke Man. with such authority that I was like impressed. I'd never heard anything like it before. And so I, I kept going back and, and, uh, yeah, he would, he would give an altar call an invitation and I wanted to go forward, but I was also, you know, embarrassed and nervous and, and, you know, I just didn't do it. But in the church, they also had chick tracks. So I took a bunch of those. And at the time I was working, um, um, at, uh, this is like 1984. I was working at the uh, Niagara County golf course doing security. And I was working like midnights, you know, till in the morning. And basically it was just to make sure no one broke into the pro shop. It was like, they called it a seated job. And I don't remember what that an acronym stands for, but, um, so I would read these chick tracks and then oh, at the same time, I also bought a Bible and I didn't know what Bible to get. Um, I had bought this before I started going to, uh, first Bible Baptist in Lockport. And it was a good news for modern man, had great pictures in it, these line drawings. And I thought this is pretty good. So I, I began in, in the New Testament, I began in Matthew, and I read through John, and even from that, uh, I thought, wow, this is, this can't, this has got to be true. They couldn't have made all this up. This is, <laughs> this is too good. And it's, you know, and it wasn't flattering towards man either. So I remember from, you know, hearing the altar call that Pastor uh, Phillips would give and from reading tracts and, and uh, then I needed to ask the Lord to save me. And so I remember it was in the, uh, it's like in the locker room bathroom situation where they had a chair set up for us in the winter. <clears throat> and I remember bowing my head and it was probably like two in the morning and asking God, uh, Lord, to save me. I, yeah, I said, you know, there's no way that I'm, I don't even know if I'm doing this right. <laughs> I, I, I know I can't get to heaven on my own, um, but I believe that you're real. I believe that you're who you say you are, so please save me. Amen. And I wasn't sure if I'd even done that right, because uh, I didn't, you know, it wasn't any great, I didn't feel any different at the time. But that morning when I was driving home, I felt really good. I felt light, you know, like, and you would say, could that be true? And I, I don't, yeah, it was true. I felt, I felt good. I don't know why it felt good. I mean, I, I didn't completely understand everything that had just happened. Uh, but I remember coming back then to church and telling Steve about it. Um, and he, you know, he, he asked me some other questions about uh, salvation, assurance of salvation, similar to Pastor Strobel, and I didn't know anything, and so he showed me. And then they had a new converts class, and he said, "What I'd like you to do is, everybody, bring your Bible. We're gonna, we're gonna go over some things about the Bible." And I said, "Oh, great!" So I brought my Good News for Modern Man, because I know they were talking about the King James, but I didn't completely understand. Well, what's the difference, really? Aren't they all the same? And so he had us with our Bibles there, and he said, now I'd like you to turn to Matthew 17, 21. So I turned to Matthew 17, 21, except <laughs> it, it, it wasn't in my Bible. And I'm like, 
What is this, a trick? And then you, you, I'll turn to Matthew 18, 11, and Matthew 23, 14, and Mark 7, and then by that time, I was like, okay, I'm throwing this away. But where are all these verses? They're all gone. Amen. And so we went over the, you know, the, you know, the manuscript evidence, so to speak, for the, uh, the King James and versus all the other Alexandrian manuscript-type Bibles and why they had taken those out, because they came from a line of different manuscripts and didn't take long to convince me that, yeah, I don't want a Bible that has these missing verses. So I converted to King James and, and that's my, uh, that's my testimony. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And, uh, it's always a, it's always exciting to go back to Lockport and still go to that church and, and to see Pastor Strobel there and, and the church doing well. And, Amen. and it's, uh, it's an encouragement. It always has been. Amen. Yeah, it's always a weird feeling thinking, you know, I grew up here and went as a little kid and everything and so it's pretty neat. Yeah, you were you were pretty long young when your family moved too. Yeah. You were still in I was single in, digits. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was eight eight years old. Yeah. Yep. It's a blessing to see what the Lord's done. Amen. Oh, amen. And uh, it's good to be saved and it's good to, good to have the opportunity to serve him. Amen. Amen. And, and, you know, again, I'm always struck by how faithful God is, how faithful the Lord is, how true the Bible is, um, and how, how alive it is, how it continues to, to speak to me. And I continue to uncover new things all the time. And like, I thought I read this. What, how, how did I not see this before? Yeah, amen. So, amen. All right. Anything else for the good of the cause? It's been real, <laughs> as as a brother from our church likes to say. Yeah. Brother Hardy, you got it. All right, well, thanks, guys, again, and uh, we'll see you next year. Amen. Lord willing. Happy New Year. Amen. Christians away. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. Going where going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon. Trumpets will
absolutely correct. 